or have it if you prefer. We don't. We do not prefer. <laughs> Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing our favorite books of 2018. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. To start each episode, we answer a listener question. They don't have to be book-related, but they can be, and you can submit them via direct message on Instagram or Twitter at He Read, She Read, or you can always email us at he read, she read podcast at gmail.com. Today, our question is from Ruthann, who wonders... Do you get books as gifts for your family and who picks them? I thought this was a good question because this is gift buying season. Yeah, with the season quickly approaching. I bought a book this year for my dad, which is not a normal thing usually, but my siblings don't really read a lot. Neither does your brother. So mainly the book buying for gifts would be like for your your mom or for my mom. And in that case, I pick out the presents. Because you know them better and their reading habits better than I do. I do. And usually my mom just wants to read like whatever historical fiction I like. So that's really easy. And I have purchased a few cookbooks in the past for your mom um, because one of our main bonding things is cooking and cookbooks. So Now for each other, we usually will do bookstore dates like we've mentioned on previous episodes where we'll go to a favorite store back home and go with each other and have either pick out a book for each other or pick out our own books to buy for each other <laughs> or don't, quotes. or not feeling guilty about walking out of a bookstore with like five or six books because it's christmas five or six books i'm projecting what i think i'm gonna find <laughs> for christmas maybe at the used bookstore <laughs> yeah that's what i'm thinking just because the selection is really good yeah and i might be finally getting uh far enough in my stephen king collection that i can get some collectible True. ones with some illustrations so. Yeah. So we do get books as gifts for family members, but none of our siblings or us as the oldest kids, like we don't have kid, little kids in the family no. yet. So I feel like that's often who you buy books for, but we don't have any nieces or nephews to purchase mm-hmm. picture books for. So mostly the moms. And in this case, your dad this year. Just because the opportunity was there. Yes. But usually I'm the book picker. Who's surprised by that one? Ruthann won't be for sure. Ruthann's not going to be surprised, no. (laughs) Curtis, before we get into talking about our favorite books of the year, I feel like we should probably mention, because the day that this episode airs is also the day that our episode of being guests on What Should I Read Next airs. We did that? We did that. Oh yeah, we did do that. That was a thing. About a month ago. That was a thing we did. We've both listened to the podcast, What Should I Read Next, pretty regularly since it started. Mm-hmm. So I I think a lot of listeners sort of dream of being on it, but I always sort of had this thought that I would really like to be on it with you because even though we've been together and going on bookstore dates and reading for the past 10 years, us reading the same book together is a fairly new thing. Like we really only started passing books to each other maybe over the last two years and even then it's like just i can count on one hand the books that we like pass back and forth or listen to on audio together like intentionally that Mm -hmm. we did that 
not your accidental waking up from a nap on a road trip and listening to my audiobook. That doesn't what is, count. <laughs> what is this? This is amazing. The opportunity arose. So if you listen to our podcast and you haven't listened to the What Should I Read Next episode and you didn't know about it, well, here's your announcement. I feel like and... that Venn diagram would be very small. Well, with, yeah, with I don't know. <laughs> I think if we found that right amount of book people they know about, man, I would think so. Or if you already listened to the What Should I Read Next episode and you're coming over here, hello, welcome. We talk about books and flirt. <laughs> Okay, I feel like that's probably not the way to welcome people because most of our reviews on iTunes are like, Chelsea and Curtis have banter, but they're not gross. <laughs> the reviews are all like, they're cute, but not like gushy, way. not like in a gross way, <laughs> which cracks me up because I would be grossed out by a couple who was like too cutesy too. I wouldn't want to listen to that. Yeah, we're here for the intellectual conversation, folks. So hopefully you're there for that same <laughs> okay. thing. Okay. What? <laughs> I feel like we speak intelligently about the topics that we pick. We try, but we're we're just a couple of people talking about books. Well, that was the fun part about Anne having us on was it was taking both of our interests and separately and then molding them into these are a couple of books that we think overlapping we'll both enjoy. So mm-hmm. that was a fun conversation to have and she I think she did a good job. She always does and it's just it's always fun to talk to another book lover. So Anyway, I just felt like we should probably talk a little bit about that because it's the day of what should I read next. Okay, shifting gears to our favorite books of 2018. Dun, dun, dun. One of mine I did mention on the episode. You did. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to have people listen to the episode. <laughs> no, spo- no spoilers. No. How do you determine your favorite books? Because we each only picked five books for our favorites of the year, but we read more than that. And I don't know about you, but I don't read books that I don't like. I'll ditch a book if I'm not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So to pick out of a hundred books, five of them, like of my, to say these are my favorite books of the year, that's a process. So I'm curious to know how you picked your five. Well, I'm a Goodreads tracker. I, don't, I know you do that a little bit, and hopefully some of the read, uh, listeners do too. But it's an easy way to track when you've read something and kind of... I do it mainly for patterns. So like I'll look and see what, I've read, uh, what I'm reading in like a couple of months span. So I tried to pick a, some nonfiction, um, and then in my fiction I wanted to pick a thriller and a fantasy book was kind of my thought process just to get the full scope of my reading tendencies. So I'm mainly a nonfiction reader. So that is the majority of my books, three out of five. And then for my fiction, I just wanted to pick something that covers the two categories that I'm really interested in. Um, But as for like what books I wanted to pick, I tried to avoid some of the ones that I talk about a lot on the podcast just to bring in um, some fresh perspectives, but if it's a book I've mentioned that I just loved, I, I threw it on there. Well, do you track star ratings on Goodreads too? Do you rate a book after you read it? No. Or write a review? Rarely. Rarely will I do a star review or uh, write a review. I'm not really at that stage yet. Do you really just scroll through and you just kind of remember what you thought about the book? Oh yeah. I've, I've got one of those memories where like I can... Look at a book on Goodreads that I've tracked. Remember where I was, how I was feeling, what time of year it was that I read it. And those 
factors all contribute to how it made the list. Not re- really a Sherlock mind palace, but it's a little bit of a mind palace. Yeah. Just where I can uh, look at a book and remember years later when I first read it, some of the emotional stuff I was feeling when I read it. I think that's actually pretty common, not to, you know, poo-poo your mind, fancy memory or anything. but comparisons. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think most people do remember how a book made them feel, it's harder to remember maybe specific aspects of a book that you like. So Mm. maybe that's where your memory is different. But I do use the star rating system on Goodreads. I don't often write a review unless it's like a book from a publisher that I got. Yep. But the star rating system helps me to scroll quickly and find like what were those five stars because I'm kind of stingy with the stars. Well, you also read more volume wise like probably twice as much as i do per year so it's a little bit easier for me to scroll through like 30 books versus you who's upwards of like 100 so in in that sense it you need some more differentiation so then the review system where you're only gleaning off that top five star for me it's easier just because i read a little bit less and have Mm -hmm. longer books so it's easier for me to just narrow down the list i could make sub lists like I could probably make a list of favorite books that came out in 2018 and I could make a list of you know my top three favorite books in each genre that I read I could make a lot of sub category lists like that which maybe I'll do that for our patreon newsletter that could be fun yeah but this episode we're talking about our favorite books that we read period they could have come out at any time it's just our favorite reading experiences of 2018. Another reason it's easier for me is I have to immediately remove all rereads because... Oh, that's true. Yeah, I picked all first-timers for me. That also takes up a lot of my reading time during the year is my rereads. Yeah, that's true. That does make it easier to narrow down. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, how about you tell us about the first book that you picked? Now, this one, even though I mentioned I was trying to pick books I hadn't mentioned on the podcast, this one came out when we were discussing nonfiction reads. Um, It's Forged in Crisis, The Power of Courageous Leadership in Turbulent Times by Nancy Cohen. So I read this when I was deployed, and it's a case study by a Harvard professor that covers five leaders that were faced with, you know, turmoil and conditions that a lot of people would have shrunk away from, but they used it as a jumping off point to actually have good leadership results. So my favorite case study that she had in there was about Ernest Shackleton with the exploration in Antarctica, where his crew and him were stranded after their ship got run up on the ice and it took him like a year to get back to civilization. So that sparked my interest because I've heard about Shackleton and his adventure, but that kind of directed me where now I want to read a, a bigger book about that expedition. So it was good because it all the individual stories were well-written. The connections between them were somewhat lacking for me. Like there wasn't a, a larger topic where she was trying to bring them all together like they were all the same. But it sparked my interest in learning more about some people that I didn't really know a lot about. My, okay, my brain is going 500 directions at once. That happens. <laughs> um, first... Is Ernest Shackleton the explorer that the main character of Eight Typical is obsessed with and mentions all the time? Yes. Remember he's obsessed with Antarctica? Yes. Okay. That's the same guy. Two, I was just looking at upcoming releases mm-hmm. from various publishers to see if I wanted to put in any requests for review copies. And there was one book that I came across, and of course I'm not going to remember the name right now, but I think it was a William Morrow in that publishing house. And it's about... 
a group of U.S. soldiers who fought the Soviets, I believe, in World War One, in, like, ice-cold, frigid conditions. Have you heard about this at all? No. It's one of those, like, untold stories that's just coming out now. Uh-huh. And I automatically flagged that one and was like, oop, gonna request that one for Curtis because I know you love a good untold story plus military history. And I think a lot of interesting histories of Russia are coming out right now. Oh yeah, that's hot right now. And now that you're mentioning Ernest Shackleton and his survival story and the weather, sort of weather conditions that I think were probably part of what was fascinating to you, I'm thinking of this book. So I will look up the title and put it in the show notes and send it your way. And yeah, anyway, sometimes I just have to get these things out before they're like gone fleeting blips in the radar of my brain. (laughs) Um, So one thing we did for this list is we're double dipping with our top five for 2018 and then also making recommendations that kind of pair with each selection. So my pairing for this first book is Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin, not just because they both have turbulent in the title. <laughs> yeah, they're really similar titles. Well, there's, you know, there's the original title, then there's a colon, and then the word turbulent is in there. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but DHK is one of my favorite historical... DKG. Isn't that what I said? You said DHK. Whoops. <laughs> DKG is one of my favorite historical writers. Um, and this book is kind of a combination of presidents and leaders that she's spent a lot of time investing research in over the last 40, 50 years. So it um, goes over both Roosevelt's, Teddy and Franklin, and Lincoln. So it it's kind of a combination of her previous works where she's won Pulitzers for... And I'm looking forward to reading it in 2019 because I won't get to it in 2018. (laughs) I think since it is so similar to the previous book, it makes sense to have a gap between reading those two. Yeah. But I think it's going to be really interesting for you to make comparisons, especially because Nancy Cohn, the author of Forged in Crisis, is similar to Doris Kearns Goodwin. Like, she's a big name in these historical biography kind of books, too. She's also written a lot about Oprah. Really? I didn't know that. She wrote two books about Oprah. Huh, that's interesting. And that was one of her case studies when she was at Harvard. Cool. Or have it, if you prefer. We don't. We do not prefer. <laughs> you can ask me what I like to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chelsea, what was your favorite book? Or wait a minute, are we doing this in rank order? Because I didn't... No, oh, goodness, no. Yeah, for me... There is no ranking system I, I here. I don't think so either, but we should make that as a stipulation that we're not putting this in any rank order. No. This is just five books that were our favorites for 2018. They're all too different to rank. True. If I was... I could rank my favorite mysteries of 2018. Yeah. I could rank my favorite nonfiction of 2018, but I can't rank them all together because I don't think you can compare different genres. Chelsea, what was your first book you wanted to talk about? Okay, One of my favorite books of 2018, and this one got really mixed reviews from people, is Educated by Tara Westover. So Educated is Westover's memoir. She was raised in Idaho in um, sort of like a rural mountain community, and her parents were survivalists, and her father was really strict about not allowing the kids to go to school. So he had a lot of theories about government and sort of conspiracy theories combined with really strict religious beliefs. And um, so her memoir is about her 
story of growing up. Ultimately, when she is a teenager, she does a lot of self-taught work, takes the SAT or ACT, I don't remember if it was both, gets into college. So we follow her education journey from basically like self-homeschool and sort of learning about life through sort of like farming experiences and then going into college from that, which is like a stark contrast because prior to college she had no formal education. And it's a story of her family and her coming of age. I found it fascinating and page-turning because I wanted to know what happened to her. It slowed down towards the end for me, so maybe that's part of why people might not have loved it. But I thought it was interesting because she was really writing it as a historian. The way that she writes it is she'll write an account of what happened. She'll sort of explain that that's her experience, and she adds footnotes about what like say her brother said happened or what a neighbor said happened so she's sort of sourcing other information to contribute to the memoir as well she's really writing it like she's writing a history not like she's writing i don't know some memoirs read like fiction Mm. this to me sort of didn't because of the way that she wrote it okay makes sense because she studied history in college and so when people say that they don't like the writing style i think that's what they're talking about is like it The book I would compare it to, and I'm not the first one to do this, is The Glass Castle by Jeanette Wells. Mm -hmm. The Glass Castle, kind of a similar family experience. However, it's written in a much more narrative, descriptive, you know, flowing words kind of style compared to Westover's historical style. And I found that really fascinating. So that's just a super nerdy thing, I think, when you're looking at the structure and how the author is writing. But... I really thought Educated was interesting. Another really interesting thing, and I recommend reading the book first before you do this, but looking at the Amazon reviews is fascinating Mm -hmm. because if you look at some of the one and two star reviews, it's actually members of her family or members of the community where she grew up saying like, this isn't how it happened or she's like besmirching her family and all of like, there's a bunch of drama in the reviews. Oh, that sounds awesome. It's really interesting. I love love family drama. And I read this when it first came out, so it was easier to find those reviews. I think so many people have read it by now that those reviews might be buried and a little bit more difficult to find. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was really, really interesting to have that as a conversation of what's one person's reality. And that's a big conversation in memoir in general is like, what can we really call truth? Because one person's perception is completely different from another. Mm -hmm. You're ultimately writing a book to sell it and for people to purchase it. So I think that's really interesting. So Educated by Tara Westover was one of my favorite books that I read. And it was a big turning point for me in my reading life because it was sort of my first aha moment of, oh, I actually really like reading memoir. And then I read The Glass Castle shortly after for grad school. Enjoyed that one, but I think they're really fascinating to compare against one another. Oh yeah, it's it's on my list for 2019. (laughs) <laughs> Along with a lot of other things, but your next recommendation is also nonfiction. Nonfiction again, and memoir this time instead of a leadership analysis. Um, this one took me like two days to read, and I couldn't put it down. And it's not a small book, but that just goes to the gripping nature of it. It's Red Platoon by Clinton Romache. So he was a Medal of Honor recipient in Afghanistan, two thousand and nine. It's about the battle for Cop Keating, um, where 
they essentially just got overrun by Taliban. About 200 or 300 of them attacked this small outpost of about 30 to 40 soldiers. I think upwards of 10 were killed and a lot more casualties. And they were finally able to fight them off um, with a lot of artillery and Apache helicopters and that sort of stuff. I was originally exposed to the story by Jake Tapper's The Outpost, which is another fantastic book, which kind of details the history behind Cop Keating and then goes over the battle, um, which we saw him on Seth Meyers the other night, and it's getting turned into a movie. So, the Outpost is getting turned into a movie. Which he collaborated with Clinton Romache on a lot of his stuff, Jake Tapper did, so I'm really confident that it's going to accurately tell their story, because... When In that interview, he was saying that they had soldiers who were at the outpost that came and were just making sure everything was accurate. Um, so this story was one that I'd kind of been anticipating when it was going to come out because he's mentioned in the outpost and um, received the Medal of Honor a couple of years ago, but it just took a while for him to get the story out. And it, I, I couldn't put it down. It just tells it from his perspective about um, how he was an acting platoon sergeant and really took the weight of the attack on his shoulders, personally fought back a lot of attackers, and then organized the defenses just to make sure that they didn't lose everybody. When Because it was a very likely scenario that everybody on that outpost could have been killed. And then to pair with it is Pale Horse um, by Jimmy Blackman, which is a account of the same battle in the same time period, um, but it's from an aviation perspective. So he was the aviation task force commander um, in the same area and provided a lot of the resupplies and the attack helicopters that supported Clinton Romache. And they kind of, they both talked to each other when they were making their respective books. Um, This book got thrown around a lot when I was deployed and I'd never read it, but I picked it up at a used bookstore um, when we were in Austin, I believe. So now I'm excited to read it just to see how accurately it reflects my experience when I was deployed and then how it reflects the same battle because I kind of like that duality. Yeah, that's cool. Especially because on your deployment, you're a person who mostly works with ground troops, but you were working with people in the air. Yeah. Well, and the same type of stuff that's going to be happening in that book are things that I had to deal with. In Pale Horse? Yeah. So it's, you know, people getting in firefights in the ground and then needing resupplies and all that stuff and how that was organized. So it's, I'm hoping to read it and then it reflects accurately my experience so that I can hand it off to people when they're like, Hey, what was it like? Cause I don't really like to talk about it, but then I can hand off a book and be like, Hey, this is, if you read this, you'll understand. So that was my second book. I have more nonfiction. <laughs> I made my list and then you kind of filled in. If I had known we were going to put all the nonfiction group together, I maybe would have rearranged it. Well, but... that, well that just means we're going to get the fiction at the end. Here's all your nonfiction folks. Okay, I mentioned taking that grad school course where I read The Glass Castle and discovered that I loved memoir. So this was a creative nonfiction class, and one of the books that I was assigned was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I am so glad that it was on that assignment list because I don't know if I ever would have thought to pick it up myself. Unfortunately, Malcolm X gets so demonized in the typical U.S. history class because how do we learn about the civil rights movement in most classrooms? Like, you learn about Martin Luther King Jr. and what he was doing, and then Malcolm X kind of gets pitted against him. There are a lot of reasons for that. I don't have time to get into it. But 
Um, the autobiography of Malcolm X was incredible. Have you read it before? No, never touched it. Okay, you have to. It's so good. You're just adding more and more to my list. For I know. Next year. <laughs> it's so, so good. Especially, well, now that I'm getting into nonfiction, it's like that much easier to hand books to you after I'm done. Malcolm X's story, his coming of age story is really incredible. And then his switch from being in prison to becoming this iconic leader is also incredible. And what I found really interesting was just the vast amount of historical detail that he included. The way that he really made each city that he talked about come alive. There are a lot of like really important pop culture references that you'll catch in it. And I was just fascinated by the way that he painted the time. There were so many passages that I marked where I felt like, oh, well, this could have been written today. He could be talking about our time right now. And so I really loved the deep dive into the historical time period, plus the connections to today. Plus, it's like just such a huge journey that he takes. So I really can't recommend this book enough. And if if anyone that's listening hasn't picked it up because either they feel a certain way about Malcolm X, you'll feel differently about him when you read it, trust me. I just recommend this to everybody, especially people who like memoir and biography. So another interesting thing about this book is It's the autobiography of Malcolm X. He didn't actually sit down to write it. This book was put together by Alex Haley. He's the author of Roots, so like major author. Um, And he actually interviewed Malcolm X and recorded their interviews. And so the tone of the book is very conversational. Like Mm -hmm. you really just feel like Malcolm X is just talking directly to you, telling his stories. Well, and that's basically what he was doing because he was just talking to Alex Haley, telling him stories. And Alex Haley has a really fascinating piece at the end that talks about his time with Malcolm X. There was another excerpt in the copy of the book that I had. I don't remember if it was by James Baldwin. I forget, but just an incredible, incredible book. So that was definitely on my favorites of 2018. Maybe if we did rank these, that would be my number one. I would think so because it made your list of favorite books of all time. My pairing recommendation to go with the autobiography of Malcolm X is What Truth Sounds Like by Michael Eric Dyson. And in this book, Michael Eric Dyson takes a conversation between Robert F. Kennedy. That sounds right, right? I'm thinking of the right Kennedy. Yeah. I'm just making sure because I don't have... (laughs) I'm just... It was like a month and a half ago that I read this. Things escape me. So a conversation between Robert F. Kennedy and James Baldwin and another, like a group of black activists had this conversation with RFK. And so Michael Eric Dyson takes that conversation and talks about it, but then he connects all of these modern pop culture references to history. And so just the same way that I loved how Malcolm X traced the line of history and connected it to today, that's exactly what Michael Eric Dyson is doing. And just the pop culture references and the modern political references that he was making and the way he connected it to history was absolutely fascinating to me. And really important for me in shaping my worldview and how I think about race in this country. So what truth sounds like, it's, I I don't know if I would say it's easy to read. It's a little bit academic, but I do think it's accessible. 
So you kind of have to prepare yourself. Like, you're gonna learn while you're reading it, but I really like Dyson's voice. So with both of those books, I think it would make an excellent, like, first read Malcolm X, then read Michael Eric Dyson. There's just so many references in both books that I think you can go down a lot of bunny trails of research, and that's that's fun for me, so... Well, it's the season to be in the car for long amounts of time, and we're encouraging people to enjoy your car rides with an audiobook from Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership going to audibletrial.com slash hereadsheread, and downloading a title for free will help you to start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash hereadsheread to get started today. We've downloaded Christmas at the Grange, a Lady Hardcastle mystery to listen to on our next road trip for Christmas. There isn't any risk in trying Audible, and you can cancel anytime without jumping through hoops. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash hereadsheread. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash hereadsheread for your free audiobook. Curtis, what is book number three on your top five favorites of 2018? So I had to finish this one today to make sure it made the list... Because you said I could just put it on without finishing it, and I completely (laughs) disagreed. I feel like I had to finish it to accurately know if it was going to make the list or not. Um, But I shouldn't have had any doubts. It's Lethal White by Robert Galbraith, which is the most recent book in the Cormoran Strike mystery series. Uh, We've read all three of the previous ones, and we're eagerly anticipating this one. Um, I'll say that Career of Evil is still my favorite of the series so far, but this was a good... It was more of a character-driven book for me than the actual mystery. Like, the narrative behind the mystery was still good, but not as engaging as the other books. But it was good to see Cormoran and Robin and their relationship evolving. And really for Robin kind of standing her up for herself and deciding who she wants to be. So I'm a big fan of the series, as I know you are. And we're reluctant to watch the TV show because we don't want to ruin this picture that we have of them. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm along for the ride. Um, it's, a, it's a great series, one of my favorite mysteries, and one of my favorite books this year. Pairing for this one is Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, which is our December buddy read. So I'm excited to get to that one. It's kind of a noir, military veteran, mystery, investigation type of a book. So I'm excited to get to that one next. It's a classic in the mystery genre. And there are quite a few people who would say that the Robert Galbraith books are way too long. And I get where they're coming from. I could have sat through 500 more pages of Lethal White personally. But um, Devil in a Blue Dress is pretty short. So if you like that sort of noir, darker mystery feeling, you like the gruff veteran hero, I think that Devil in a Blue Dress is a good one to read along with us for. What's your third one? So my third favorite book of the year is Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce. And this is a historical fiction novel. It's about Emmy, and she is living in London. This is World War II era. She is spunky and she wants to do her part. She really wants to be a war correspondent and be the lady journalist on the front lines, like really doing her thing. And so she goes to um, a news agency and gets a job. She thinks she's going to be a war correspondent and fulfill her dream of being a journalist. Actually, she ends up filling in for 
Mrs. Bird writing advice columns. <laughs> and there are complications in there that I don't want to spoil, but I just found this book absolutely charming. Tugs at your heartstrings, but isn't doesn't necessarily leave you sobbing. Like there's hope. And the relationships in the book were really sweet. If you like the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, I think you'll like this book. That was a mouthful. I know, but I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's There are letters in it, but it's not strictly an epistolary novel, so you're not reading the entire novel in the form of letters. I actually listened to it on audio and really enjoyed the audio, but I kind of want to own it because I loved it so much. And it was short. It was a different side to a World War II story. There's there's really no end to World War II historical fiction. But I think that certain books really nail it and get a new angle that makes it fresh. And this one really, really did. And I just, I just loved it. I found myself giggling with it. And then it was an emotional journey. So one moment I would be giggling and then my heart was breaking. So it was really, really good. It's a cute really cute cover book cover just side note (laughs) really great book design (laughs) the book that i would recommend along with it is dear fahrenheit 451 by annie spence and i really really enjoyed this one too this was another one of i guess this is me like just having extra picks for favorites of 2018 now (laughs) but dear fahrenheit 451 is a series of letters that Annie Spence, as a librarian, is writing to different library books and different books that she read throughout her life. It is hilarious and heartwarming, and oh, it's just, just such a sweet book. I listened to this one on audio as well, and it translated really well to audio. So I think these were the only two books on the list that I listened to. No, I have some other audiobooks. This was really a year of audio for me as well. So Dear Fahrenheit 451, great on audio, but I think it's a really good gift book for people, for people who love reading. If you enjoyed Ann Bogle's book, I'd Rather Be Reading, Dear Fahrenheit 451 is a really good comp too. Okay, my next one is Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World by retired Admiral William McRaven. This is another nonfiction, my last one, and it's the shortest book that I read this year. So thought I'd throw that one out there so that all my nonfiction don't have to be 600 pages. <laughs> um, this is based on a commencement speech that he gave at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and it kind of blew up on the internet and on YouTube and then it transitioned into book form. So essentially it's an advice book um, by a retired Navy SEAL admiral who I, I think I mentioned on the podcast previously as being a big figure in some of the books I've read about Joint Special Operations Command. But it is the central focus is how to do the little things right because it'll have big impacts on your life. So something little like starting the day by making your bed is a task that will jumpstart you onto the next task. And by the end of the day, you've completed a lot of tasks and gotten some stuff done. So it's a way to think about accomplishing what's on your to-do list and how to start off the day on the right foot and making sure that the little things are still important. So it's 
good advice giving. Um, it reminded me a lot of the last lecture. You did not just recommend the last lecture. I did. I like that book. I know you don't, but I do. I have another nonfiction recommendation here what? too. We just got way too many nonfiction recommendations. No, this time. I think it's a good thing. Wait, so I had three and you had three. This oh, is the third one. Nice. Go okay, go ahead. I have talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but I have to mention it again because it is definitely one of the best books that I read this year, Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talaga. And this book Okay, Seven Fallen Feathers. Tanya Talaga is an investigative journalist, and so she is investigating and writing about seven indigenous high school students that died in Thunder Bay, Ontario, between the years of 2002-2011. And these students were miles and miles away from their families because they were sent away for high school. And so the book traces the legacy of the horrible, horrible boarding school system that was set up and then traces that through today and talks about the racism in Thunder Bay and just tells a story of the culture of the area and and history through these seven students. I don't really know what more to say about it. The writing is amazing and it's a tough read emotionally, but I think it's really, really important. And just because it takes place in Canada doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to the United States because a lot of the history and the reality is the same for indigenous communities here. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really important book. I like that you've kind of got a couple of those parallels where it's like journalists digging deep in some stories. Mm -hmm. Along with memoir, I've been discovering that I really like that too. So the book that I would pair with it is Where the Dead Sit Talking by Brandon Hobson. This was, I believe, on the shortlist for the National Book Awards. And again, not an easy read. It is dark. It is kind of tough at moments to get through. However, I think if you read it after you read Seven Fallen Feathers, a lot of Where the Dead Sit Talking would be illuminated. I actually read it prior to Seven Fallen Feathers, and I felt like I should have done it the other way around because I would have understood where the dead sit talking a lot better if I had read it the other way. So both of those, really great if you are looking to read more indigenous voices and diverse perspectives for the next year. I would recommend those two books. Okay. What's number five? We're already at number five. Closing out the list wouldn't be a top five without a fantasy book. So... I, my favorite fantasy book this year was Red Seas Under Red Skies by Scott Lynch, which is the follow-up to one of my favorite fantasy books of all time, The Lies of Locke Lamora. So it talks about a group of thieves that call themselves the Gentleman Bastards. And I think you found the first one for me, and I really enjoyed it. Hey, was that, did I get that for you as a gift or something? Yeah, um, I can't remember what for, but I really enjoyed it and picked up the second two in the trilogy. Um, it's supposed to be a series of seven, but a fourth one hasn't been written and it's been a couple of years, so I'm not sure what's up with that. But um, it follows their story after they um, had some rough encounters with some magical people in the first book. And then the majority of this one takes place on a pirate ship. So there's, Ooh. yeah, so there's some piratey things and um, just some, they're 
it's re it's really anti-hero based. So they're thieves and they are smart. Well, like they're smart asses. So you're kind of like they've got some snarky dialogue, which is something that I really enjoy for all my fantasies is like snarky anti-heroes. The pairing that I would have for it is The Blade Itself by Joe Amber Crombie, which is uh, part of the First Law trilogy, which was recommended to me years ago by somebody that I trust that recommended Game of Thrones to me. Um, so it's a well-known author. It's kind of a noir fantasy is how it's been described to me, um, but the same structure. So anti-heroes, snarky dialogue, and I'm looking forward to reading that soon in the coming year. There's a lot on this list that you're going to read in 2019. I think that's a common thread. Like, for your pairings, are those all books that you've already read? These are all books that I read in 2018, including the pairings. So the yeah. pairings for me were books that I haven't read um, that I'm looking forward to for the next year. So 2019, those are books that I'm going to start with, are those pairings. Except for the Make Your Bed in Last Lecture. Yes, that's the only one that I've read both. I, as I am looking at my list, I'm realizing that this was the year that I realized that I liked memoir and nonfiction and romance because I actually included a romance book on here, which is not like me, but you know what? I turned a new leaf with romance. It's not a guilty pleasure anymore. It is just fun to read. You should not feel ashamed. Nope. So the book that I picked, these, the book and the pairing could really be tied for favorite books, but you know, we're working around that with this format here. So <laughs> playing fast and loose with the top five rules. Yes. So the book on my top five list is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. And I explained this one to you as a group of lady spinsters find love. Sassy lady spinsters. Oh yeah. Because there's a lot of witty dialogue here. The hero loves Shakespeare, so he's often quoting it, but there's good banter. And I just really enjoyed The Duchess Deal. The book that I would pair it with is A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. So The Duchess Deal is, I want to say Victorian era romance. A Princess in Theory is modern day. And A Princess in Theory is about a, I think she's in grad school. And the main character is a young black female scientist studying epidemiology and then this prince comes over from africa and he's like hey i want to marry you and she's like uh dude i don't know you and he's like yeah our families knew each other and she's like i didn't know my family anyway you can imagine the rest but it's really fun it's like if the black panther and a romance novel had a baby is it kind of pop culture aware where it would make like a Wakanda forever um, reference? Not, no, not, I wouldn't go as far as that, uh -huh. but you can definitely see like the influence of it. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's just really fun. And those are also books that I listened to on audio. So those make great listens. That's it for the top five. Well, top 10 for you. Cause you yeah. snuck around the rules. <laughs> so I feel like, we just found that 2018 was your year where you will find some nonfiction to throw my way that's mm -hmm. just going to clog up my TBR for 2019. So, Well, sweetie, we started a book podcast and you kind of entered the world of books. So if you think your TBR is clogged now, 
just wait. Oh, we've mentioned this on the podcast previously that my TBR is never going away or no. not going to dwindle to the point of needing something quick. Yeah. <laughs> There's a deep backlog there, folks. True. Okay. Um, let's talk about some fresh recommendations. What would you like to recommend to people this week? So I'd wanted to start watching this show a while ago and we've just kind of hit the backlog. And then now this week we found it on Hulu. So we started watching Killing Eve um, with Sandra Oh that she got robbed of the Emmy for because she absolutely deserves it. Um, But it's a fantastic show. She starts off in MI5 as an analyst and gets fired on in the first episode so it's not really that big of a spoiler but then she starts working for mi6 hunting a female assassin that she's convinced is operating uh for the last couple of years um and is kind of a show-off so she kind of yeah so (laughs) she is able to see the patterns and impresses somebody within the foreign office in mi6 and then gets this job hunting an assassin so I am all in on the first season, and I'm hoping we get through it, and then the second season isn't far behind. True. So. And it's a dark comedy. Don't you think so? I don't we know. La- like, I laugh quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think I there are like definite that's just our funny moments. Of, I think that's just our senses of humor. Mm. I wouldn't really classify it as like a dark comedy. I'd say it's still like a drama. I guess it's probably just one of those genre-bending shows, but I would call it dark comedy. Well, we do laugh a lot. What's your recommendation for this week? Well, part of me wants to recommend The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because it's my favorite show ever in the history of ever. Now streaming on Amazon. Season two Season just two. came out. <laughs> but And we watched three episodes so far. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. That's one recommendation. Okay, you've already <laughs> recommended 10 books in a top five episode. You can throw two recommendations of the week out there if you want well, to. Well, one one of these is kind of like obvious, but everybody should probably listen to episode 164 of What Should I Read Next? I'm just saying. For, for, for whatever why. For, you know, for reasons. <laughs> Shameless plug. If we're not going to do it, who will? True story. So secondary recommendation would be Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we both love. Yes, it's the best. Okay, that's all we have. Thank you for subscribing and sharing He Read, She Read. We love reading your comments, your posts, and reviews each week. Reminder that our buddy read for this month, Curtis and I are both going to read this book and then discuss it. We are reading Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, and that discussion episode will air December 25th. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, please do. Those written reviews make a huge difference in our reach and they brighten our day. You can connect with us on social media or via email. We're on Twitter and Instagram at HeReadSheRead and our email is HeReadSheReadPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember, the couple that reads together. Reminds each other to quote, save it for the podcast. Oh, you planned ahead this time. I did, yeah. We do that all the time. <laughs> My favorite is whenever you're singing. Anyway, <laughs> Just go save it for the podcast. podcast. <laughs>